Welcome to episode 34 of the Golf Betting System podcast. This week we are covering the Quicken Loans National on the PGA Tour and the Open de France on the European Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour previewer at Golf Betting System, and with me we have European Tour expert Paul Williams. Evening, Paul. Evening, Steve. How are you? Oh, we're doing okay. Fresh from your uh, victory last week on Mr Watson. Here we go. (laughs) This this is happening far too often, mate. Let's talk about that in a minute. I did. I did enjoy that. I can also announce the return of podcast pundit Barry O'Hanrahan. How are you, Barry? Uh, very good, thanks, guys. Yeah, kind of refreshed and from my trip away to the west of Ireland, golfing holiday. So, uh, yes, yeah. saw some it pictures look on Facebook. Nice. Looked, uh, yeah, looked um, really nice. It, Barry. it could be. Yeah, fingers crossed. Like, so I was playing Lynx golf. So hopefully, there's a tenuous. Um, link there that can help me choose a few good golfers for the Lynx swing that we're about to embark on on the European Tour. Yeah, we'll be all ears, Barry. Golfbettingsystem.co.uk, that's where all of our content is housed. Twitter handles, I'm at Bamford Golf, Paul is at Golf Betting, and Barry is at A Good Talk Golf. We're available on Podbean, iTunes, TuneIn for Android, Player FM and Podtail. Naturally, subscribe or follow the podcast and tell your friends about the show. So, chaps, it was, do you know what? It was a cracking week last week, it has to be said. I thought I, I thoroughly enjoyed the whole weekend experience. England winning at the football. Uh, the betting went well across the golf and a couple of other things I had a bet on. Um, how often, Paul, is it that you or I both get two players in the full each way money that's a rare old occurrence well one of them winning as well yeah well, to be fair um, I know there were a lot of winners this week um, judging by uh, Facebook and Twitter but you and I going into the final day we had some fantastic positions you know I, mm. I had um, uh, Aaron Rye and uh, Lucas Spearguard both of them tied for the lead going into the final day and you had uh, well most of your boys were right up there weren't they um you know if you take Casey out of the equation which ultimately um he took himself out of the equation um the rest of your guys all had a chance of either placing or um yeah or, or getting the job done and you know, Cantley Stanley Griot they're all I don't know tied 11th something yeah. like that yeah. or, or better Harmon had been the 50 oh the 36 hole leader and then he started struggling a little bit, as he tends to. It was Bubba that he went bogey bogey, didn't he, to close on Saturday? And yeah. I read his interview saying he was absolutely disgusted with himself because he mm. um, he played two terrible holes, mm. and he was saying that he thought he was going to have to shoot something incredible like a sixty-two or sixty-one in the final round to catch Casey. Yeah, you know, he he thought he needed something like an eighteen, nineteen under, but of course. What Bubba didn't say, but what a lot of punters know, is that Paul Casey, in the lead of a golf tournament... It's just very defensive, wasn't it? You know, it was par, yeah. par, 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 par. And when you've got someone breathing down your neck who knows and loves that course as, uh, as Bubba does, um, that's a dangerous game to play. We have this conversation quite often now, don't we? We had it before the US Open about Ricky Fowler being a terrible player when he's in the lead. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly say the same about Paul Casey. Yeah. And that win that he got at um, Copperhead this year, that he came from off the pace on that one, didn't he? Yeah. Had a, like a miracle round where he was like four, four, five strokes game putting. Oh, he take twenty putts in the round or something silly, didn't he? But yeah, that's man. a completely different scenario. And sometimes you can get so defensive in these positions, trying to uh, you know maintain and just uh, convert a lead and. How many fifty-four hole leaders have gone down this year on both tours? It's mad, isn't it? You know, again, if you go didn't, back to the, that, the they they quoted a stat, didn't they? They quoted a stat last night. Was it something along the lines of seventy-four percent of leaders with a four-shot lead on the PGA Tour win? It, I think that's what they quoted it was on something, going, going, Yeah, something heavy like that. Yeah, it could have been. It was either seventy-four or eighty-four. It was a big number. We're going into the final day. You should, you'd expect the, the the pros to be able to convert that kind of lead, but it's not that easy, is it? Mm. What were your thoughts on the golf yesterday, Baron? 
uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty enjoyable. Um, it was just strange to see Casey kind of plod along like that. I mean, you, you know the course's play is giving up birdies, and a level par round probably wasn't going to be enough. So he should have been going out chasing birdies as well. Uh, and obviously when the pressure was applied by Bubba setting the target, uh, he just he was already crumbling at that stage, but that was the nail in the coffin. And, um, you know, fair play to Bubba. He played some really great golf yesterday. Uh, always, always so entertaining to watch. And um, that last hole was just perfect. You know, he probably yeah. said to himself in the tee, I need to make a birdie here to uh, to really apply the pressure and set the target. And, you know, he pulled it off. So you, you hats off to the guy. Like, it's... Um, He's he absolutely lashed it off the tee, didn't he? And then you and then you saw DeChambeau another 20, 20 yards yeah, down. Yeah. That must that must have been a hell of a drive from DeChambeau. When he's playing that kind of golf and he's hitting the fairways with that kind of length and you know the clear shape that he puts on it, it as you said, Barry, it's fantastic to watch. Um, but the other guy, they can't live with him, can they? On the courses that he loves and plays well, he's you know on his game. You'd challenge anyone to really, you know, to beat him in a lot of these situations. When he's got his game face on around Augusta, River Highlands, Riviera, and he is at the top of his powers, I don't think anyone beats him. Yeah, he's that he's that good. He's that natural. He was. I found it fascinating on the seventeenth because you just knew he was hating that hole as soon as he walked on the tee. And he, he, he managed to play it with that huge hook, didn't he? But he played mm. he played it with an iron just to try and get it in the fairway. He was so scared about going in the water. Mm. But how many did you see across that week going in the water on 17? Yeah. Lots of players. It's a beautiful hole, isn't it? It's not long. It's, yeah, it's, it's not hole. long. There's enough great. space there, but that water just puts the fear of God in them. And uh, what, a, what, <laughs> yeah, a, what a brilliantly simple golf hole. Um, look, the great... It's a lovely golf course. Yeah. Very underrated. Yeah, it's nice to watch. Um, like the thing about Bubba is, he, like we we know how much of a momentum player he is. You know, when it, when the going's good, he just keeps flying. And um, you know, in a U.S. Open scenario, for example, when that goes bad or when it turns against him, he's gone. So uh, yeah, he everything seems to be in the right place for him this year. You know, the, he's got the ball, even though he says the ball wasn't the issue. But like he's healthy and the ball, it's a combo of factors. And then, um, I mean. Yeah. It's it's uh, I think for us as punters, it's a case of just tag, you know tabbing where he's gone well in the past for the rest of this season, because he might go and grab another win or two even before the Ryder Cup. But three down halfway through the calendar year, that's pretty good going, isn't it? He said to the Sky guys, you know, he just doesn't want the season to end, and yeah. you can see he's really happy. The two children, his wife, supposedly they're going round in their own kind of huge camper van between events. Mm. They're just travelling on the road. Yeah. Having fun, and he's he just loves his lifestyle at the moment. Tell me about our new ne- our new nemesis, Paul Matt Wallace. Saying that you've had a winner with him in the past, <laughs> yeah. haven't you? But yeah, th- I mean, this 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 guy Wallace, he's a, he's an extreme talent, isn't he? This lad. Yeah, I, was, I said last night in the tweet when um, when he won or yesterday afternoon. That's nine victories, nine nine wins in all all com- uh, all competitions in sixty three starts. So. Yeah, some of those are on the Alps tour, but you know, to have a conversion rate that high as a professional golfer is incredible. And the guy just knows how to win, doesn't he? It's, um, you know, I, I, I looked at him, I mentioned him in my preview. You and I have talked about him before, um, contrived not to back him. And, uh, you know, he produced the round on Sunday that was clearly out there once uh, once Olsen had shown everyone that there was a, you know, a score to be made there. And, uh, you know, I had did, set up. did you fear that Olsen's crazy score was going to steal it, or did you think <laughs> someone would someone would get? What well, we've got this run of tournaments at the moment where people are shooting silly numbers from like the first, the first or second group off in the morning, oh, and getting themselves at the top of the leaderboard. It's gone crazy. On Sunday morning, I um, before the before it came on the TV, I, I I went out to the gym in the morning and um, I had to nip a couple pick a couple of pits up from the supermarket on the way back. And I'm standing there with my phone um, as I'm walking around, and literally Olsen's just going birdie, birdie, birdie. And I'm seeing my guys sitting there. They've not even teed off. They're sitting there on five under. I've got two of them in the lead, and they're getting further and further and further away from the lead. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you cannot continue to make these birdies. And he's gone eight under. I thought, no, he's not going to birdie the last nine under. 
And at that point, you're thinking, well... It was certainly a danger. Yeah, exactly. And you're sitting there thinking, well, that means now, to win outright, one of my guys has got to go and shoot um, five under, so he's got to shoot 67. And, you know, from the heat of the final or the penultimate group that's that's no no means of given whatsoever and you know whilst that's that a cause, lot of pressure isn't it yeah, it's a exactly. lot of pressure on a group on on a, on a you know on a group of leaders anyway yeah yeah but in the end your premise was absolutely right about the tournament wasn't it effectively gir absolutely was the key, critical number again and matt wallace top top gir on the week putting yeah. his putting numbers were were very, very, very ordinary, but he just hit green after green after the green, and and the and the putter warmed up enough on Sunday. Yeah, I, the, all the all of the numbers um, were pretty pretty skewed because of the, the difficulty of the first three days. Bear in mind that Wallace went into the final day on three under par, so um, you know the, the putts that he made and the, the way that he played on on Sunday um, was clearly you know, enough to get him over the line. Um, but yeah, he topped GIR, and you know when I sat down and made my final thoughts and decisions on it my view on his GIR performances of late wasn't wasn't strong enough but clearly um you know he's a talented guy as you said he knows how to get over the line um I saw him in an interview afterwards and he's you know he was saying that he'd uh, mentioned to his caddy that uh, having seen what Olsen had done he said you know we've got to find a way to get to 10 under par one way or another that's the number we need to get to and um you know by hook or by crook they do got you think there. he's do you think he's got a shot at the uh, Ryder Cup he wins one more tournament if he wins yeah, this if week. If he wins or a Rolex next, series, yeah, this week or next week or the Scottish, absolutely. Why not? It's you know the, these guys who are accumulating points and winning um, golf tournaments. You know they're putting themselves right in the shop window, even if they're not putting themselves in the you know the actual points positions. Um, you know they're, they're they're sending very strong signals out to uh, to Thomas Bjorn. Right, we've got this. We've got this part now of the season in the build-up to the Open Championship where clearly we've got the uh, the Open de France at the Golf National. Then we move to Ireland for the Irish Open. And then, of course, we've got the Scottish Open. Mm. Uh, all Rolex series events on the European Tour. And this is the section of, of the year where you, you, know, you have to say that the European Tour certainly has the advantage in terms of the quality and the depth of fields in in, in the tournaments that we're dealing with. So it makes perfect sense for you to uh, to headline, or for us to headline, the uh, the Open to France this week, which of course is being played at Le Golf National, which is going to be hosting the Ryder Cup in September. So do you want, do you want to kick us off, Paul, and start talking us through your thoughts about uh, the Open to France this week? Yeah, I will do. Just before we do it, I just wanted to say um, a quick thank you to um, Basti on Twitter who sent Steve and I a, um, a sound clip of how to pronounce the uh, the German towns and uh, locations last week, which was very useful and very useful. It didn't help me. <laughs> very useful for, for our um, future shows. And, um, and fair play to him. He also, um, at the outset, told us he backed uh, Matt Wallace as well. So congrats, Basti, for that. And uh, thanks for your input last week. Um, yes, on to... The Open to France then, so um, we're into the third Rolex series event, as he's just said, Steve, we've got the um, the Irish Open and the Scottish um, to follow before we go to the Open Championship at Carnoustie, so um, these events will quickly uh, roll by and uh, before we know it, we'll be doing our preview show for the, um, for the Open, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, so we're at the Albatross course at the Golf National. Um, it's the course, as you said, for this year's uh, Ryder Cup, um, just in the southwest of Paris. Um, and yeah, we've, I, would, I would have thought, I don't know about you guys, um, given that it is the uh, Ryder Cup venue, I would have thought that a few of the American team would have um, would have made the trip over. But we've only got Justin Thomas here. Do you think anyone think that's... Uh, Bit of a mistake from the guys over there in uh, in the states. What do you think, Barry? Yeah, I saw a small interview with Jim Furyk there uh, over the weekend, and he was saying that a lot of their guys had gone out and done um, recon trips already, and they're going to do some of the future. But yeah, it, it's still even even at that, it still strikes me as a little bit strange when it's you know there's big prize money available, um, and you mm-hmm. get to learn the course in a competitive setup. Um, and surely the 
you know, with it only being, what, three months away now, the um, they're going to try get the setup. You know, it'll be largely similar enough because they're going to be testing out how it performs in the way that they kind of wanted to play in September, I'm sure. Yeah, so absolutely. it seems a little bit of a missed opportunity to me. But then again, we, we can't speak for how these guys can learn golf courses um, at you know the level they play at. Um, they might all be very comfortable coming in and doing, um, you know, getting their prep done on the course uh, the week before the event. Um, we, we can only put out our best guess as to, to what the, the best way for these guys to approach it is. Uh, to mm-hmm. me, it seems like a slight bit of a missed opportunity. But then again... They have a chance to take a little bit of a break before rolling into the uh, the Open Championship in three weeks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think a lot a lot of it is pacing the play, isn't it, for a lot of people's schedules. But if you if you look at the um, event this week, uh, the Tigers Tournament, this Quick and Loans National that I'm covering this week, uh, there is Tiger Woods, and there is um, Ricky Fowler. And that is pretty much it. Pretty much it when it comes to players that have got a realistic chance of qualifying for the Ryder Cup this year. Yeah, yeah. I'll so get, you know, it's not it's not as if they're piling to support Tiger's tournament. No. Um, and you would assume that there's going to be some Americans playing in Ireland or potentially the Scottish mm. Open, probably more logically. Yeah. Uh, and we've we've clearly got Justin Thomas that's coming across to to France this year, uh, this week, which is great. But yeah, I, I just expected one, one or two more, but yeah, that clearly hasn't materialised. No, yeah. I must say, I, I expected probably uh, two or three of them to pop over. But as you say, Justin Thomas is is here. He, he is the uh, bookie's favourite at twelve to one, um, and you've got uh, John Rahm at fourteens, Tommy Fleetwood and Alex Noren at sixteen to one, Rafa Cabrera Bello and Ian Poulter. So you've got guys there, you know, who are very likely to be um, part of the European team. Uh, Poulter, Garcia, Andy Sullivan at 28s, Matt Fitzpatrick and uh, Olsen as well. All three of those at uh, around 28 to 1. So the guys that you'd expect from the European team to be, um, you know, to be, to be eyeing the course up, getting a bit of a, uh, early practice and, uh, you know, trying to impress the uh, impress the gaffer ahead of uh, September's event. Um, Somebody explain to me why Francesco Molinari is actually playing in America this week rather than... Rather than in Paris, yeah, that's a that's a strange one as well. Yeah, it must be it must be their uh, the PJ Tour rule. It must be. It's this yeah. rule has to be. Well, you know, as you said, some of them will play next week Ireland. Some of them will play the week after Scotland. Uh, for me, you know, if you're going to play two of the three weeks, you might play yeah, this and then miss either Ireland or Scotland. Perhaps Rory's, you know, done such a great job getting the the, uh, the, the, the kind of the creme de la creme coming at, for the uh, Irish Open that um, the, the the French Open was the one that, um, that was the full guy, effectively. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, let's go to the, on to the course. It's a 7,247-yard pass, 72. Um, we've seen quite a lot of it because obviously it's been on the European Tour for a number of years now. Uh, it's an exposed, undulating track. Um, when it's I mean, it's designed to be played um, firm and fast, and when it's like that, it's almost linksy. You know, you could almost describe it as a, an inland links. And I know um, when I've looked at um, correlating courses for inland links courses in the past, I've used uh, used this track as uh, you know as a, as a proxy for that. And I know you've you've, you've done the same in the past, Steve, as well. Um, it becomes more and more linksy as it gets firmer and faster. And this week. Um, as we're seeing over in the UK and Ireland at the moment, um, we're in the middle of a, an, an increasing heat wave over here. It's getting hotter and hotter every day. Um, dry, absolutely no no rain whatsoever. And it's no different so over there in Paris either. It's going to be kind of mid-80s, low 90s Fahrenheit, baking sunshine each day. So I expect you'll find it's going to get more and more uh, linksy in style. Um, as mm. the uh, as the four days, which is good because clearly that's that's how it's meant to play. So that that's a good thing. Yeah, and you know you kind of got this, you know you got this recognised link swing ahead of the um, ahead of the open, but this will be kind of the uh, the hors d'oeuvres for the uh, for the two events coming up. So um, yes, I think you'll find it um, is really quite um, quite linksy and style this week. Um, 
so you've got um, relatively narrow landing areas in the in the course, um, unmaintained rough off the um, off of the main uh, rough that flanks the fairways. So there's some really nasty spots you can get yourself into around these parts. Um, and the greens, which are bent grass, um, they usually run to around about 10 and a half, 11 on the stim. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a little bit quicker this year if it's um, it's really quite uh, quite firm. Um, and the bent grass with a little bit of local uh, grass that's blown in there over the years, but um, predominantly bent anyway. Um, I mean, my general perception of this track is it's a tough layout. And you've seen um, winning scores between kind of the five under... Uh, level for uh, McDowell won at five under back in 2014 um, and that's when it was particularly gnarly there was a lot of wind a bit of rain that year and um, when it's been drier and firmer the scores have tended to be a little bit lower so Wiesberger in 2015 when it was firm and fast and dry he won at 13 under but you've got a range of scores between those two extremes and depending how windy it is depending how firm it is depending if there's rain depending if it's you know, there's there's rain that's softened the 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 course, but doesn't hamper play. There's there's different variations to this. So, when looking through and trying to work out how this is going to play this year, um, as I do each year, I tend to look at the conditions that are going to be prevalent for the week, and then try and get a view of how that's played like this in the past. So, um, a firm and fast track with decent high temperatures this year are going to be similar to how it played in 2010 when uh, Miguel Angel Jimenez won, um, 2013 when GMAC got the first of his two um, titles here and 2015 when Wiesberger won um, and they were totals of 11 under, 9 under and 13 under so I think that gives you an idea of what we should probably expect this week and somewhere in that kind of low double figures under par is likely to be around about the, uh, the winning score I would have said this week. Um, the kind of game you need here, uh, the way the course is set up, it tends to be a strong tee to green game is the kind of the the wisdom that you'd um, you'd go with here. Certainly high GIR. Um, what you tend to find, looking through the stats, nearly every single year, is that you need to have a strong short game around here as well. And I think when it's firm, it's fast. If you're not hitting fairways, you're struggling to hold greens. If you're not holding greens, you've got to have a decent short game to, to get yourself up and down. And I think the firmer and harder it gets, the more that will come into play this week. So players who have either got a strong GIR game based on accuracy and they can find the fairways, find the greens, or or and or those who are able to save par from uh, from mm. missed greens. It's, it sounds very similar to the test that we've got over in the States this week. Yeah. Very, very similar. Yeah, it's... Um, uh, it, it will come down, you know, they, 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 the course is designed to play this way. It's designed to play firm and fast. So they're getting exactly the conditions they want. Um, it's just a case of how that will manifest itself in terms of a, a kind of contender. And I, I suspect you'll find there'll be a mix of players in terms of those with high GIR and those with a strong short game. And if one of the short game guys hits more greens than normal, then he's going to contend and you know potentially be right up there at the very end. And likewise, if you get a strong GIR player who has a good week on and around the greens, and if you look back at Wiesberger in 2015, he's not renowned as being one of the best short game players. He's one of the best GIR players yet he um, was very strong in both departments that year and that was good enough to get him over the line so um, those are the factors I'm looking at when I first started looking at this it looked pretty calm in terms of the wind but over the weekend the forecast for Thursday and Friday has picked up to around about 15 mile an hour average winds which around those parts given it's so exposed um, and there's a penalty for, for missing fairways certainly apparently for missing fairways very wide um, that's going to make this course play a little bit tougher I think and um, you know the, the challenge I think will be on finding fairways first and foremost um, and then given that a lot of players aren't going to be able to find the putting surfaces it's going to it's going to come down to a short game at the other end as well so um, there's a lot of factors to consider certainly there's a lot of factors to consider and given what I've said, guys, is there any names that scream out to you that uh, would interest you at this point? Well, it doesn't. Sh it doesn't shout Justin Thomas. And no, and, and again, it's his the first. Trouble, the trouble with 
the trouble with Thomas's game at the moment is he's gone down. The, you know, you see this with a lot of players. You? All of a sudden, he's just slashing it off the tee. Yeah. And um, that 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 for a player of any of any real quality is difficult to transcend if you're constantly in the rough and not in the fairway. Yeah. yeah. Um, it doesn't shout John Rahm either, to me. I think you're going to need patience around this. You know, given given that you're not going to be able to attack um, every hole, given that you are going to um, you're going to need a patient game to to get yourself to an accumulated score that's competitive. I, I still have question marks as I you know as I have done with a number of these tougher events about Ram um, when it comes down to that uh, to that style of play. We had very firm and fast conditions at Shinnikov a couple of weeks ago, uh, and a, one guy finished with a virtual was it a U.S. Open record final round, mm. and I, I can see a little bit of sixteen to one hanging around on Tommy Fleetwood. Yeah, and we know that he's we know that he's defended titles in the past at Abu Dhabi. Yeah, um, that's a potential angle, I, I would guess. I also yeah. noticed Sergio played a lot better last week from tee to green. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was much improved, wasn't he? And his short game was good as well. There's, there was a lot and to this, like. this was a conversation I was going to have with you guys. You know, if you look at the European side and you look at the fact that, at the moment, a lot of players need picks, Stenson, Casey and the like. Garcia's, for me, is becoming, his position's becoming a little bit uncomfortable if he continues in this trough. He must know that. Yeah. I'm just looking yeah, at the, as you say. He's just looking at the list here. Casey actually has has sneaked into the the fourth spot on the world list. So uh, would make sense after last night. Yeah, yeah. You can second your way into the Ryder Cup team. Um, Sergio needs to show something. He does, doesn't he? He does, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. And Paul and Paul's just saying links like firm and fast need a scrambling game, high GIR. You know, just it, you know. Look at the constituents. It does shout Sergio Garcia to me. But I tell you, let, let me let, let me sorry. Going back to 2010, the winners here had all played the course at least four times in the past. This is Sergio's uh, debut. Believe it or not, he hasn't played this. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a big down downside. Now you got, yeah, yeah, yeah you got Justin Thomas. He's coming here as you might expect. Is his debut. These guys, are, you know, Thomas is the favourite. Uh, Sergio's 25 to one, which on the face of it looks pretty backable. Um, but he hasn't got the course experience that the other guys have. Um, up until last year, um, 11 of the 13 winners, um, or 11 of the 13 previous winners, had recorded a top 25 um, on the track and in a previous renewal. So it was. It looked like going into last year that you needed that course experience, you need that course positive um, record to, to, to go on and win. Yet Tommy came here last year, Miscut, 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 miscut from his four attempts at this and then one. So if you were doing any kind of combination of current form and course form, you'd have put a big cross through Tommy Fleetwood because you'd said, well, he hasn't got the course form. He's played it four times. He missed the cut each time. Um, he's got no chance. And then, of course, he goes and wins. Um, yeah. But he had played the course four times in the past and as had everyone going back to 2010 that I've listed on the preview this week. Um, so, for yeah, for me, that's... The only negative that I would really draw against Sergio, but it's a pretty big one. It's a pretty big um, cross in that box there, and he's going to need to overcome that if he's going to. Uh, he's going to contend this week. I can see why he's here. It makes perfect sense for him to be here. He needs to be getting his head around the course um, as as the American guys that aren't here should be doing. Um, but so whether that means that he's in a position to contend this week, uh, not, not convinced myself. Um, where are we now? 6.30 on Monday. I've backed two players so far. Um, so I'll give you those. There's a couple more that I've been contemplating. And I know before we came on air, Barry and I um, quickly mentioned, well, Barry quickly mentioned one. So I'll leave that to him because he's another guy that I'm uh, contemplating. But I'll, uh, I'll let Barry take that. Um, the two that I've backed so far um, are Hao Tong Lee um, at 66 to 1. Um, who, well, he's one of these players that's. Um, tends to be um, overpriced given his relative position in uh, most fields. So he's around about 10th. If you go down, if you if you plot the OWGR against the, the field here, he's about 10th in the list relative to the rest of the field. Yeah, he's around about the 20th in betting. So clearly he's, he's far further down than you might expect. 
Um, he's already won this year, won the Dubai Desert Classic. Um, he started tinkering with his swing after that, which didn't really help things. So, um, yeah, madness, isn't it? And um, he didn't finish inside the top 30 on his next nine starts. So clearly that tinkering had an impact on his performances. Um, yeah, he started to show a little bit lately. Um, he was 19th in the Italian Open. There was a nice second round of 65 in there. And he was sixth going into Sunday. So he had a, had a chance. 16th at the US Open, um, which is third in this field, I think, relative to all the other players. Um, and he led the field for greens in regulation as well. So if we're looking for a player who can hold greens in firm and fast conditions, as you just said, like, like they were at Shinnecock, um, we've got a mm. prime example of a guy who can do that, who has done that very recently in elite company. I mean, he opened with a 79 that week. So, you know, he was staring at a missed cut. Um, and then only four of the field, only four other people in the field beat his score from Friday to Sunday. He shot 68, 74, 69, which is all very, very positive in my view. Um, he's played the course twice, um, missed a cut in 2016. Um, with rounds 75 and 72. 2017, last year, he went 71, 70, 70, 67. So he's been a nice, solid progression from the six rounds that he's played here. He finished seventh here last year. Um, and I think at the price, he's worth a, worth a punt. Um, you know, if we're looking for some linksy kind of uh, correlating form, he was third at the Open Championship last year. Um, I think there's a lot to like about him at the price that's on offer there. Um, so he's a guy that I've backed earlier today, as I say, 66 is, um, and I've got seven each way with Coral at that point then. Um, and the other guy I've backed so far is uh, Soren Kjeldsen, who showed some good, solid form again last week. And I backed him, when did I back him? Back at the uh, BMW PGA Championship, and naturally he missed the cut that week after showing a little bit of form the week before. Um, at the Belgian knockout. Now, he's been coming back. At that point, he was coming back from uh, a bit of a niggle with his wrist. But he started to show some progressive form since. 42nd in Italy, 23rd at the Shot Clock Masters, 7th last week at the BMW International. And actually, he led the field for all-round performance last week. Top driving accuracy, best for greens in reg, um, 7th for scrambling. And if I'm looking for someone who can hit fairways, fine greens and has got a good short game those three stats right now converge and if he repeated those three positions this week in this field I suspect he'd win the tournament so uh, I think there's far worse bets than, than Son Kelton out there he's got a lot of course form as well he's got top 10 top 20 finishes at the Open de France since 1998 that's a very strong uh Record to be uh, to be coming here with, you know, he's one of the linksy type call. He's one one won the Irish Open back in 2015. So, and he's one of these guys who does like a tougher track, does like a tougher, um, tougher layout. He's got a great record of Valder Armour. Um, and if you look at players who've won here in the past, uh, Martin Keimer, he beat Keimer at Valder Armour in 2008. Uh, Bernd Wiesberger, he was one of the players in the playoff that he beat at the Irish Open. So there's, you know, just little snippets of correlating. Uh, Correlating form there, um, and again sixty six to one taking the seven places with Coral on that, um, and I think either or both of those guys could get themselves in the mix this week. And uh, the challenge for me is then how do I back that up? You know, as you said, Steve, you could go with a Fleetwood back to back. He's already obliged for me earlier in the season with that, and um, it's a very tempting angle to attack given that he was. You know, likely to have been jaded last week. He just about scraped the cut, and you know he's going to be a little bit more refreshed and raring and ready to go this week. Um, Alex Noren's another one who actually ticks virtually every box I'm looking for this week. So it's got to be a kind of a classy player, I think. And you know, those kind of names, are the guys at the top end of the market, are, you know, it would it would wouldn't be out of kilter at all to see one of those guys um, lifting the trophy here this week. The one name that I like the look of, potentially, although I haven't got all the data to hand, clearly, guy that finished sixth at the US Open, 12th mm. for GIR, uh, scrambled nicely. Um, Tyrrell Hatton? Yeah. Plays well, links golf? Yeah, he does, he does. Yeah. I guess with, with Tyrrell, I don't know, you, you've got to bank on him hitting enough greens to... to uh, 
contend, haven't you? His mid-range putting was one thing that really caught my eye in, in the US Open, and you know when he's doing that, he is very dangerous. Um, yeah, I don't know. Four appearances, best of twelve. Yeah, seventy-five percent GIR in twenty fifteen. I, I don't think I don't you know can write him one, off. one of the fast years that you were talking about. He was seventh for GIR that week. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there's any reason to suggest that he can't contend. And again, if you're looking at the list of um, Rolex winners so far, you're looking at Francesco Molinari, you're looking at Torben Elson. You know, a, a Till, Hatton, Till Hatton going in that sequence wouldn't look out of kilter whatsoever. Mm. Um, so yeah, I know. There's of all the guys at the top, there's four or five that need some serious thought as to as to whether this is really going to suit and whether, what the best way to back up the two kind of mid to longer price players that I've already backed. So um, there needs to be a bit of thought overnight and uh, some it's difficult, rapid decisions. Isn't it? I mean, I'm just looking at the winners here: Fleetwood and GMAC. And you try and I try and think of everything from a PGA Tour perspective, clearly. But if I remember correctly, with Fleetwood. He made his debut at the Honda Classic this year and finished. Was it? He was joint leader with Justin Thomas, and then he, I think he finished two back in the end mm. at PGA National. That's windswept, nasty inland links golf course. G Mac, 2013, he won here. He won here in 2014 as well. G Mac's got an excellent record at the Honda Classic as well. Mm. Yeah. So I'm just thinking. I know Tyrrell Hatton. I think Hatton finished in the top three or four there last year, so there's a there's you know, yeah. just from a PGA perspective, there's a there's there's a there's a there's a scenario there which links him into this style of golf quite nicely. He's yeah. the sort as well, isn't he? When he gets momentum, Hatton, it it can, tends to come in quite quick. Um, what's the momentum changes, and he and he tends to grab hold of his wins quite quickly when that momentum's going for him. Yeah, and you know he can maintain that form when he's um, when he's at the top of his game as well, can't yeah. he? And there's, there's there's no no reason to suggest I, that he can't. I it's, don't know how he sits in terms of Ryder Cup qualification for Team Europe. I know he's clearly going to be one of one of the guys in the team, but I don't know whether he's actually got enough automatic points at the moment or whether. He's on the cusp. He's uh, like, top of the European points list at the moment. So he's pretty much guaranteed a spot. Yeah, he's 1.2 yeah. million points ahead of uh, Olison, who's in fifth. So mm. it'd be, <clears throat> it would take an awful lot of uh, shaking and moving for him to not get there, especially considering he's going to pick mm. up some more points along the way. Um, and, he's, yeah, yeah. and he's fifth in the world points list as well, so um, you know he's got that back up as well. So he's probably a lock for the team either way. Yeah, and it's going to be a huge motivator for these guys this week, isn't it? Given the uh, given the points that are on offer as well, so you can see. I, 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 I can't I, I can't draw a line from it at this stage, Steve. And you know, as we get to the point of you know push comes to shove. Um, it's going to be a, a tough one to try and uh, try and shake off, and that's probably you know, potentially that's telling telling the story that he needs to be uh, he needs to be backed. So come here. Who's the player? Who's the player you like, Barry? Uh, I actually like Kelson as well. Uh, independent of listening to all of Paul's um, phenomenal research there, which made me tempted <laughs> to put more money on him, but um, I backed him a little earlier today, and I followed Paul's uh, how Tong Lee uh, makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I think that's called. I think we should actually coin that and call that the Kadira theory. Because um, the week the week that he uh, broke our hearts and um, well more so Siwoo Kim broke our hearts by not being able to put yeah. down the last few holes, Kadira was what by far and away the highest ranked player with the best correlating value for the week I think. Yeah. Um, so that seems to fit into that Hao Tong Lee um, idea. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. like s- something I've kind of developed in my head the last couple of weeks is who has the most motivation to uh, to do well in a tournament because. You know, we can make a, we can make a case for an awful lot of guys, and I, as these guys have pointed out, there at the top of the market, it's quite difficult to separate the uh, the guys at the top and who to pick from them. But I think um, Keimer has quite a lot of motivation going into this week. He, he could sort of he'll probably feel like he let that one slip there last week. He's gone back to a course he's had some pretty good form on in the past. He's got all the thoughts of the Ryder Cup um, and his heroics uh, in the Ryder Cup before. 
you know, he's he, he's a past winner here. One, two, three, four, six top tens. Um, you know, the the only worry is if it gets really firm and fast, and you know, he can't quite work that short game. Um, but he's a. Mm. Uh, you know, there is that kind of uh, X factor of who is the most motivated going into this week. And I think he will be at, at or near the top of that pile and certainly worth a look at the mm. odds. Um, I find, I'm finding it hard to pick across the top of the bunch. I really think Alex Noren is a good shape this week as well. Um, plays firm and fast and yeah. windy conditions very well. Has an unbelievable short game. And uh, yeah, ahead of the top i don't know it's, it's it's very hard to separate the guys at the top um you can make a good case for rafa cabrera bayo but then again does anybody would i wouldn't feel happy having uh, rafa 20 to 1 in the tournament you know it feels like you feel like you want no. a 33s or 40s you know for it to to make to make sense yeah. in my head um, well, it, going, um, going back to the, the the Hatton point, you know, if you're looking at Rafa, and as you say, twenty to one best is sixteen to one in places. Um, you got Hatton, who's twice the price, is thirty three to one. Mm-hmm. And Hatton win, Hatton wins. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. Given given what we've seen historically, which of the two is more likely to go over the line? You know, um, mm. it's it's the guy who's twice the price. Hasn't Hatton won the Dunhill Links the last two years? I know it's a yep. completely different beast. It's a amateur tournament, so yep. you know you get easier pin positions and the like. But you know, playing playing round Carnoustie and St Andrews in September is never one hundred percent easy. So he's clearly got a Links heritage there, Hatton. Yeah, absolutely. So, and like you said, would would you back RCB at twenty or Hatton at thirty three with their respective win rates? It's a no brainer, isn't it? There really it? is. Uh, uh, going, uh, my. Um, I've ranked everyone in my analysis in the background based on their links performances um, over the last three years, and Hatton's top. Hatton would be, if you're picking solely on that data, he's the guy that you'd go with at the top of the market, mm. near the top of the market. Where, where does Paul mm. Dunn come on that? Well, he's not played as many of the events as, as you'd expect, but you know, I, I think Dunn is... Of, of the players, again, if you're trying to pick a player who you think, you know, this kind of, this this timeline of, uh, of Rolex winners, you know, the, the Francesco Molinari's, the Thurban Olsen's, Paul Dunn, for me, in my mind, he fits into that. You know, if you, if you had a, a Dunn or a Fitzpatrick or mm. a Hatton or someone like that, it wouldn't look out of kilter. It wouldn't look, um, it, you, you wouldn't look at it and go, well, that's, that's, that's a... Um, freak win. You know, it's a freak win. It's not, yeah. it's, you know, it, it fits perfectly. Um, he would do it the latter way of the two that we've discussed in terms of it, you know, it's less likely to be hitting the greens in regulation, more likely to be... Uh, to scrambling his way around that, but he he has got such a phenomenal short game that he could do it. He finished thirteenth here last year, so um, you know he's been growing and developing um, ever since. I'll, you know, again, he's another one that is very difficult to shift from the uh, from the thoughts. And whilst I'd love to go with a, a kind of a more expansive uh, team, it might well be that I end up with three or four that are kind of that that kind of price level and. Uh, with a view to the winner likely to come from that kind of price range, but yeah, I like Dunn. I think I think Dunn's got a Dunn's got a chance as well. He owes himself one, I think. Um, mm. You know, he's put in the good performances, and uh, yeah, he does. He owes himself a win. Well, so close this year in the, uh, the Spanish Open up against Ram. He's at yeah, right, right, right next door to the Spanish Open, the French Open. You know, there could be that silly little link, could be the thing in his head that, you know, gives him those extra one or two shots this week. You just never know. Yeah, and again, you know, the the, the personal motivation side of it. The you know, it, people have been talking about him being a fringe player for the Ryder Cup. Why not? You know, with everyone here, you know, playing on the course that they'll be playing in three months' time, go out there and show everyone what you can mm. do. It's going to be a fascinating week. I am very much looking forward to it. But yes, I need to make some uh, some big decisions over the course of this evening and uh, firm everything up before the morning. Congre- um, what's it? Quick and Loans National. I've got ten minutes. So, Quick and Loan National on the PGA Tour. Uh, they're playing at TPC Potomac at Avenel Farms, which is the same course that they played this at last year. 
Um, it's an invitational status PGA Tour event, which means 120 in the field, so short field. Um, it also means you get a three-year exemption um, if you win this, as it's an invitational status. But this tournament is long past its best, and um, it looks like Washington's um, tour stop-off. This is going to be the last event here before they restructure their schedule next year. And the field this week it is absolutely abysmal. I mean, take this all relative to you know what we're used to, but at an invitational status tournament, you don't expect to see Ricky Fowler at seven to one, Tiger Woods at fourteen to one, and Mark Leishman at twenty to one. Mm. And then you're running into the likes of Francesco Molinari, who's never won in the States, and Kyle Stanley at twenty five to one. And it's a poor, poor event from a from a standard perspective. Um, it's a tough old track, this. Um, it's hosted um, a senior major. It's hosted some web.com events. It used to um, host the Booz Allen Classic many years ago. The likes of Ben Crane won, Adam Scott won, Rory Sabatini won, interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, but it had a renovation since then. It's They added some length to it. But it's, it's a 7,100 yard past 70, which... Um, you would have thought a lot of players start licking their lips when they hear this kind of stuff like that. But it's a beast of a course. And um, if you remember last year, we were on David Lingmuth at 33-1. to 1, <laughs> yeah. And he shot 65-65 across the opening rounds at 10-under and led the field. He also won one of the web.com events around here. Mm. And uh, everything in the garden was rosy. And then in the end... He was leading at 10 under after 36, but it got firmer and faster and firmer and faster. In the end, 7 under one. Mm. Now, that's not very often you see a score go back on the PGA Tour. No. So mm. it's that kind of course. Now, there's been some rain in the build-up. I've been following the course on Twitter quite handily, and they've had quite a lot of rain over the weekend. There's also a long t well medium term forecast that there's going to be some rain on Wednesday um, evening into early Thursday morning so first thing in the morning I'll see what the percentages of that happening are and I'll, I'll make my uh, predictor model um, choices of variables based upon that I've added a soft variable this week because you know even on a technical golf course some players prefer it with a little bit of give yeah both on the uh, fairway and uh, and on the greens itself, so that's one to keep an eye on. But it's it's you know after last week, I loved Bubba last week on the basis that a thirty-three to one price on Bubba Watson, who was a two-time winner on that golf course, amongst a second and a third, I think something ridiculous, and he's also won four or five times on a Pete Dye design. Thirty-three to one was a value-packed price hmm. oh, because yeah. you know yeah it was it was a cracking price. You mentioned it on the podcast, and I completely, 100% um, concurred with you. It was a cracking price, 33 to 1 on Bubba Watson. G given and his record, one of those yeah. yeah it, it, and, and the odds compilers do that with Bubba, don't they? Because I think statistically he goes off-piste on course he doesn't like, um, and he can throw in some really bad results, and you think, oh, it's all over with Bubba, you know, the form's gone. But that isn't how he works, and then nah, bang. Turns up at a course he likes, Ben Poe greens he loves, He's right in the mix, and that's yeah. the kind of play you want to back, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you, you're getting a premium on his price every time because his headline form doesn't look good enough to justify a, a twenty mm. or twenty-five to one price. And was he won at thirty, fifty, and fifty? I think this year the three, oh, 30, thirty-three, fifty, and fifty. Yeah, the, yeah. The know. Riviera was fifty to one. No, I still kick myself for missing that. I think we all yeah. do. But yeah. and then the, you look at this week. I mean, Ricky Fowler, four-time PGA Tour winner, just the four. Seven to one. You just like you just can't touch that. No, I, I'm sure there'll be one particular tipster that might touch that. Seven to one, half a point each way. But you know, seven to one on Ricky Fowler. That's just a. It just can't happen. You know, Tiger Woods. You know, I'd be very tempted on Tiger. This course, it feels similar to what you were saying, Paul. High GIR. Mm. Stanley won last year. He top greens in regulation. He was fourth in strokes gained approach. But one thing that Stanley had last year was a bit of a short scrambling game as well. Yeah, it stands out from the stats, doesn't it? 
if it's going to be firm and fast again this year, and we've got debate about it, but he he topped GIR last year at seventy six point four percent. So effectively, he still had to he missed sixteen seventeen greens, yeah. Mm. So you've still got to have a reasonable scrambling game, not to make bogey around here yeah. when you miss greens. Um, and that's kind of what I'm looking for this week: someone that's hitting tons of greens, and someone that if they do miss a green can get up and down. Yeah, yeah. Woods falls into that category undoubtedly. Um, if I was on Sunday night and got a Tiger Woods winner at fourteen to one, I'd probably be quite happy about it. Because fourteen to one isn't a bad price on Tiger, especially considering that the field is so poor. He's getting closer and closer, isn't he? It's clear from anyone who's watched him over the course of this season that um, he's converging on a win. Um, but you and I are falling, filling this. We've developed the kind of way that we work now in terms of we don't chase that many short price winners anymore, do we? We kind of we go for a bit more value of the mid range and bigger end, and you can. You know, like you did this week, 125 to one each way place and a 33 to one each way place. You got a very nice profit out of it, even yeah. though you didn't get Matt Wallace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it was yeah four four times um, four times a stake back in terms of profit. Um, Absolutely, but without getting the winner. So yeah, you can you can achieve that without chasing these guys at the top of the market. Um, so you know, it depends on how people want to play it. Francesco Molinari is interesting for me. He's hitting tons of fairways. He's hitting tons of greens. Clearly putting, you know, decently for him. Um, he plays well at courses that I like in the states. The way he's done well in the past, like Bay Hill Memorial. Mm. But I don't know. Can can I get excited? Twenty to one? Probably not. And then we like we said earlier, Kyle Stanley, J.B. Holmes, Charles Howe the third. We were talking about Charles, weren't we? Chucky three sticks last week. Yeah. If, if they'd have given you fifty to one about Chucky, you'd probably be, be lumping on. Oh yeah, thirty-three to one on a man that hasn't won since two thousand and seven, and has only won twice. You know, if you're, you're given sixty-six with seven each way, and you'd say, well, you know, he, he finishes in those kind of positions so regularly, he's worth uh, he's worth taking a chance on. But at half that price or worse, well, that's not, okay. yeah, we're now seeing the likes of Bo Hose, Bo Hosler at thirty-threes. He played well last week. Statistically, he's got a lot of game for this. I just get the feeling with Hosler, Hosler um, can he go back-to-back back with the top six? Not sure. Um, I also get the feeling with him that he's more far more comfortable on a kind of mid-to-resort scoring kind of golf course test. Yeah. I mean, last week, that 17-under one, I think he finished 13, 14-under for the place. I don't think we're going to be anywhere as low as that this week, so there's a doubt for me there. And then we you know Kevin Nahr. There's there's something in there potentially about Jimmy Walker. Um, he needs to if he's got any hope of a Ryder Cup spot, he he needs a win and quick. But the one player I've backed already is um, our friend Joachim Neiman, who yep. I thought was very very tempting, too tempting for me at fifty to one with Coral, seven places. Because I think this week, again, as I said, um, it's a course where high GIR and ball striking is rewarded. Um, and if you miss a green, it's fantastic. If you've got a decent um, short game to, you know, to, to, to make pars. Um, so that's the one I've backed so far. Bit of a pun to nothing. But as I've said in, in the commentary on, on the uh, tip that I've written this afternoon, his rise has been unbelievable. World number one amateur, uh, top six on professional debut at TP San Antonio, which is a difficult course. Then he went to two courses. You know, we always talk about Colonial. Oh, you know, to do well at Colonial, we need to have played the place a few times, finished eighth. And then, of course, last time at Muirfield Village, or two times actually, because he missed the cut at Southwind, uh, which again has helped his price this week. Um, Memorial loaded golf tournament absolutely loaded with the biggest names in the sport he goes out there in the final group on the morning shoots 66 and then backs that up with a 68 the next day and he leads at 36 holes this guy he's a phenomenal talent this Neiman yeah so I just thought 50 to 1 about him is just too big a price I pray it's there in the morning probably won't be but um, yeah I'm on board already but um, from a tipping perspective I it's only Coral that's holding out right now, so we'll see if that's still there. Betfred is still to go up, and they, they can be quite aggressive on price. Yeah, they threads. can be. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. might have a chance there. The other the other player I do like in that mid-range, there's a couple. 
I do like Ben Ann this week, who played very, very well at Memorial, has been scrambling very well on the PGA Tour indeed. I've got Ben Ann, ben Ann, ben Ann here in the top, uh, top 50 for scrambling and also the top 18 for strokes going tee to green. So that whole package. Because if you look at Kyle Stanley last year and you look at his key numbers when arriving um, at this tournament, he was eighth for strokes gained tee to green on the PGA Tour. He was in the top 60 for scrambling. And uh, he was also in the top 20, uh, top 30 for bogey avoidance. So there's something in those kind of numbers. And I, ben Ann uh, played very well at Memorial. You look at his course form at places like Honda, also at, the, at Bay Hill, the Arnold Palmer. When I'm looking at people like uh, Stanley, Adam Scott, David Lingmuth, uh, players of that ilk, Ben Curtis as well as one here in the past. Those courses jump out at you that they've done well at those courses. So and I'm tempted on at forty to one. Mm. But the one I do fancy, and I will be definitely running with this this guy as well. Um, I you you might want to put your fingers in your ears, guys, because this guy <laughs> is not a player that you like the sound of after what he did to you a few uh, months ago. But if there's a guy that's starting to really wake up a little bit and starting to hit some greens, and he's putting fantastically well at the moment. Um, just just, just not on the back nine a few weeks back. You've got to no, be no, joking I mean, me. I think I saw a number, I think I saw a number of, um, that he was second last week in strokes gained approach at the Travellers. Yeah, I can believe um, that. And he's also sitting, uh, in, you know I have my 10-week tracker, uh, for putting. He's sitting in third position. I know you don't want to hear that, Barry. Well, that's it's fine position. when you're in the middle of the... Third position for uh, putting. It's easy to putt when you're not contending. But I don't, I don't think though that this is really a putting contest. If you see what I mean, because Carl Stanley, he finished. Uh, no, he's not, not was, a putter, is he? It was something crazily high in terms of both strokes gained putting and also his putting average. Yeah, I think if you, if you, if if you're avoiding, you know, two putts on a lot of these greens, and you're just, you know, you're just ticking along at sort of making a 68 or 69 each day, one two under par. You're going to be right in the mix by the end of the week. Mm. I just think Siwoo Kim. I'm I'm seeing 66 to one about Kim. He reminds me very much of how Tom Lee. What you were saying, Paul. If you looked at his world golf ranking, the results that he's had, and then you look at the prices that you can get on him. Yeah, they're out kill He's always a, a bit of value there. Mm. I, I just think there's potentially something in Kim. He also played here in the Web.com, and he led after round one back in 2013. I think he eventually finished 12th. So he's seen the course a couple of times and he can clearly get on well round here. So I just thought, um, I can see 66s about him at the moment. So I think Kim's going to be another one for me as well this week. Any thoughts on Danny Lee? Played well, play, played well at the players, didn't he? He was, uh, he was right in the mix there. 14 for the Fort Yeah, didn't he, didn't he finish in the top 10, 12 here last year, Lee? He twenty uh, second. He finished, but he was tenth at halfway. So yeah, he was he was um, he was right in the uh, right in the mix. Um, if I really think that this is going to start playing soft based on the forecast, you'd probably be a lot more pro Danny Lee because we right, know okay. he's a soft course animal. Yeah, I tell you what caught my eye with him was last week. He was eleventh um, for driving accuracy, twelfth for. Greens and regulation, second for scrambling. So again, that kind of combination of long game and a short game all converging and working at the same time. Um, and seems, seems we know nice. that we know that he's bent grass positive. Yeah, yeah, it's a big tick there, isn't it? Big tick for Danny because his win at Greenbrier was on um, bent grass, mm. and there is a correlation again between Greenbrier and people who have done well in the past. Like Kyle Stanley's finished in the top ten at Greenbrier. Yeah. David Lingmuth's finished sixth and ninth there in the past. So yeah, Danny Lee, he's definitely one worthy of um, of of um, some more analysis because that that's that's his best GII GIR number uh, across the last ten weeks. Yeah, that did it did at the Travellers. Yeah, it seems to be that that aspect seems to be moving forward as well. And you know, when I looked at uh, the players who'd done well at Potomac here in the past, um, you know, a lot of them did have some positive scrambling, recent scrambling performances as well, and. Uh, you know, he was pretty strong in that last week as well. So, 
Yeah, there's lots of light there. 55 to 1 at the moment, uh, Danny Lee. Generally 50s, so that should uh, well, definitely be a bit around in the morning, that kind of price. He's a momentum player, isn't he, Lee, mm. as well, when he finds something. And, and I put him up at Colonial a few weeks ago, didn't I? And he was desperately in need of some results yeah. because he was um, outside the 125. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely give Lee some, um, some investigation, I believe. Mm. Anyone that you fancy, uh, Barry, at all? Um, I had had my eye on Ben Ann. Uh, I know this sounds like I'm just ju- jumping in on what <laughs> you guys have selected, but uh, I'm just going to go with coincidence this week. Um, yeah, I haven't looked too deeply into it otherwise, but I, I do like the case uh, for Dan Lee as well. Um, when it gets soft, he's a bit of an he's a bit of an animal, um, and mm. I'm going to have to check my emotional state before I go back and see Wu Kim again. Um, <laughs> The only thing I'll say about Siwoo is like last week, right? He shot 66 in round one. He then shot a closing 66. So, you know, there's something there. Um, I think he was in the top 20-ish at Shinnecock and then it all went horribly wrong in round two. But even at Memorial, there were a couple of decent rounds at Memorial. He shot a 67 in round two. And I think he was 11th there at halfway. And as we know, Memorial, you know, Cathedral of... Of ball striking, he didn't hit the ball particularly well, Tita Green, but it was his putting and short game that was exceptional. And then last week, as Paul said about converging numbers, all of a sudden he was at seventy percent GIR last week, which put him in the top thirty odd for greens in regulation. And the putter's still warm, and I know that he plays far better on Bermuda grass, but he actually won his Web.com event on bent grass greens yeah so he is capable i oh, know I've, I've got i've got quite a, a few positive bent grass performances so he looks he looks pretty um you know universal in that respect um, and in a in a field where you're struggling to find any kind of value the likes of a danny lee or the likes of a siwoo kim um could be very very beneficial and the same mm. with ben ann so I'm I'm in your kind of situation. Am I really going to go down the route of going balls deep on someone like Tiger Woods? And I'm sure he'll be very very popular this week. And if he is going to win a tournament this year, this is the one for him. Don't forget, he's outside the top fifty in the world. So if he wants to play at Firestone in a few months' time, he needs to he needs to keep the momentum going. He's yeah. getting closer, yeah. and this field is ter- terrible. If you've got if you've got Tiger in the mix on Sunday against a lot of these guys, they're going to crumble. That's just fact. Yeah, I'll get some of those. But it's whether it's whether his flow. game is in the state. Is he hitting enough? I think his fairways, his number of fairways, are getting better. Um, I'm not sure that he's going to have to be hitting driver here too often because it's a short par seventy relatively. Uh, you know. He's tempting, but this is the problem, isn't it? You chase him and you go three each way or whatever the staking plan is, and then you've got these juicier players that you'd like the sound of, your Danny Lees, your uh, Siwoo Kims, and it's difficult to get the right balance. Yeah. Well, a quarter of a 55 to one shot is uh, the same price as a, a Tiger Woods winning. What do you think about Andrew Putnam? He's, do, he's playing quite nice he did, what, degree, do, isn't he? Do we find out why he pulled out um, a week or so back? There was, was it last week he pulled out of an event, didn't Last he? week. Yeah. I expect it's just because he got a second place and he realises he's safe. He, probably, right. he was probably one of these guys that was going week to week to week to week, like yeah. most of these guys do yeah. in the lower reaches. And he just thought, well, I'm safe now. I'll have a week off. Nothing else award then. I'll bet, it, I'll the bet he didn't tweet eye. that, though. <laughs> no, I bet he didn't, no. Did you see James Hahn made his uh, holding one last week? Yeah, is a slam dunk. Is a yeah. I've got some. I've got some names on a post-it note here. Just random names. I, you know, you've always got to look at someone like Kevin Streelman, but his price is poor. Um, I've I've already tipped up Neiman. I've got Siwoo Kim here at fifty to uh, his price, and the one at the bottom of the list is James Hahn, one hundred and twenty-five to one. Yeah. Been positive wins at. Quail, Riviera, these are tougher tracks, aren't they? Thing is with James Hahn, he's been hitting lots of greens. His putting's been absolutely abysmal. Shockingly bad, yeah? Yeah. And then last week, he was 30th for strokes per... um, for putts per GIR. Mm. And to put that into context, he's been 89th before... 
uh, 85th, 135th, 155th, yeah? <laughs> and then last week he was 30th. Yeah, that's a kind of a monumental improvement, isn't it? But if you look at his form, it's like, thir- I think it's reading 36th and he was 45th last week. Yeah. And that was after five missed cuts on the trot. Normally that's that's the kind of point he wins immediately after those five uh, cuts on the trot. Oh, but, uh, it is. So Hahn, he's another one that you could squeeze in there. Okay, listeners, we fun, absolutely yeah. have to back James Hahn this week because he'd be the kind of guy <laughs> that we won't back after all this talk and we'll go on and do it. I mean, maybe we should we should just charge a commission for not backing him and everybody who does back him <laughs> pays us a fiver each or something like that. If I remember with Hahn, Paul, he won his first event at Riviera, yeah? And yeah. Riviera is always firm, fast and nasty, yeah? yeah, yeah. And I, didn't he win at something like six under? It was tough, yes. Mm. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of correlation there for me. You know, just look, just looking quite superficially, but uh, you know, some positive vibes from his from his ace last week, and uh, as you say, some improving stats as well, and a, mm. a nice juicy three figure price for a player that you know can get over the line. For how, you know, for, for all of these Charles Howells who get themselves into position time and time and time again yeah, and don't yeah, convert. Yeah. Absolutely, mate. You've got James Arnold. getting 33 to 1 best price on a guy that's won twice and hasn't won since 2007. Yeah. And you've got James Hahn that's won twice in the last two and a half years, is it? Yeah, 125 to 1. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's all good. So, yeah, I'll make some decisions uh, at some silly time in the morning and, and get it all get it out for listeners of course as ever we'll have uh, all of our previews out in the and you can you can link or oh, there'll be live links beneath the uh, in the description uh, box here on Podbean right I think that's it then gents isn't it yep best of luck chaps fingers crossed best of luck to all good luck everybody um, Barry's Barry's already back James Hart Tw- I can hear, I can hear him uh, <laughs> twice <laughs> yeah twice <laughs> And uh, we will see you again next week for, I think it's the Green Briar Classic in uh, the States. And of course, Barry's favourite tournament, the Irish Open. So uh, see you again next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.